I just left Alumax, running the scalper there for six years or five years, and went into the ministry full time. And as many of you already know, I didn't have education to speak of, uh, formal education to go into ministry full time as a student pastor. Had really no experience and training as a student pastor, but there I was leading a student ministry of 25 to 30 kids. Ended up growing over the next many years to 100 kids, and it was awesome to see. But our first turn right out of the chute, the first camp I ever went to, the first camp I went as a student pastor was the first church camp I ever went to in my life. Didn't go as a kid. First camp I ever went to, and I'm looking at this going, what are these people doing here? <laughs> Some of it was pretty corny, I thought. But anyway, side of point. But within six weeks to two months, I can't remember exactly, we were on our first mission trip. We were going to Mexico, uh, Reynosa, Mexico. We we're going to stay in McAllen in the evening, or, or in the evening and the day, go over to the orphanage in Reynosa, Mexico. And, and uh, the, what was crazy about it was that the, the sponsors I had, none of us had ever been on a mission trip and none of us had ever been to Mexico, but we were going to try to figure it out. And we did. But we get there, staying in this kind of, uh, con uh, not condo, but a, a dormitory uh, type place for the students. And like I said, there's 25 to 30 of us. I can't remember exactly the number at the time. But one of the students we had was uh, a seventh or eighth grader. Can't remember exactly Scott's age at the time, but he had just lost his dad to leukemia months before that. He was a real small young man, and he was annoying. I will admit that extremely annoying, so many 7th and 8th graders are, but especially he was like high-octane, annoying 7th and 8th grader, okay? I took guys who were the quarterback for the football team, point guard for the basketball team. They're juniors and seniors, so there's a mixture of younger and older, all mixed in here together, obviously boys and girls, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was supposed to be really great. But I look up one day, I'm outside after we had, we, we had done some work. I had just come back. Uh, we'd just come back from Mexico, and I was outside cleaning up some stuff. And here comes Scott out of the dorm just screaming and saying, I hate this church. I hate my life. I hate, and he's just hating everything, okay? I said, Scott, what's wrong? He goes, they just gave me a swirly. Now, everybody know what a swirly is? Just in case you don't. You stick somebody's head in the toilet, put it down as far as you can, then you flush it with their head in the toilet. Who did it? Well, the quarterback, the point guard, all these big old athletic guys took this one seventh, eighth grader and stuck his head in the toilet, not his face, just his hair, and flushed it. I absolutely lost my mind. I went in there and started talking to those guys. But there wasn't, I mean, literally, if, if you, the old cartoons where you could see steam coming out of the ear, that would have happened if, you could have, if there would have been a picture of that. I was so mad, so out of control, did not touch them, did not curse, but about everything else happened. could not believe that it just happened on my watch. I allowed that to happen on my watch. I was taking care of these kids, but on my watch, this happened to that seventh grader. Was I learned a lesson about staying under control and I needed that and how to handle something. But what was also established that day was, was a boundary. And that boundary that day was there is no practical joke at the cost of anyone, ever. If you and your little buddy want to do something, you both know you can kind of get away with it. Okay, you kind of can mess around with that a little bit. But it's not going to cost anybody anything if you do a practical. It will cost you something. But we don't do practical jokes. And that was my mantra from then on. We set a boundary. 
And that boundary was set. This is how we operate here. And for any student to ever come into our youth group, there is security of this one thing. You will not be bullied, and you, there will not be any practical jokes pulled on you from now on. But what I also came up with that day was, in that, in that season of time was, we're going, to do a minute, we're going to do ministry with these students, an arm around their neck, but nose to nose. We're going to set some boundaries. We're going to love you. We're going to love you just the way you are when you show up here. It doesn't matter to us. And if you don't want to change, we're still going to love you. But we are going to be nose to nose. And we're going to grow and we're going to move forward together. So that's our, that was our mantra. So today, we continue in uncommon, rare, irreplaceable, useful. Something can be rare and not be useful, right? <laughs> but if we're going to be people that live uncommon, we not only need to be rare in the sense of nobody, like I told you last week and shared the story about Brother Paul Holderfield, that was so rare. But I didn't need to meet a hundred Brother Pauls. I just needed to meet one that was truly living out this holiness message, who truly was living out this transformed life. I just needed to meet one and know that it was true. When he passed away, there was no question. He was, he was one of my most significant mentors of my life. He was irreplaceable. Now, God continued to grow me. I'm not saying that he didn't bring other people in. But there was a void that never could be filled. But what he taught me was useful and practical. So if we're going on a trip, first thing we need to know is what? Location. Second thing we need to know is how are we going to get there? Blind spot. Blind spot is there's a side of me I can't see without your help. I just cannot see it. And if I don't have people around me helping me, I'm in trouble. I'm limited in my influence. I'm limited. Built to run, we all live way below what God has designed us for. And what we're going to do when we do in our training is challenge you to live to the fullness of what God has for you. I'm going to have to do something here real quick. Post a note right there. Coming right back. I've got to get these keys out of my pocket. Or I'll be driving you and me crazy the rest of the day, okay? Back, okay. Route, how are we going to get there? If ethos is Christ-likeness, if ethos is the destination, if that's what we're always, it's what we're always marching to, it's what we're always stretching and striving to, that next run, to be more and more like Christ, and we do that, then there's got to be a route. How are we going to get there? Well, the route is to walk in front. We've got to become more like Christ through his Holy Spirit in filling us and holiness and, and tr the transformation into Christ's likeness, which is holiness. But you can do all that. What's all that for? Well, it's to influence others. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. Just having all knowledge of holiness is almost pointless. So what we're going to do today is to try to lean into the understanding that the route, put that back up just, just a second, sorry about that. If we're going to get to Christ's likeness, part of the route is, is that we're not trying to influence inanimate objects. I'm not trying to influence that chair. I'm not trying to influence this altar. I'm not trying to influence that wall. I'm not even trying to influence animals. And I don't know if you've ever seen me with dogs. I don't do a very good job trying to influence them in the first place. Okay? But what we are trying to do is influence people, right? So we better know how to interface with that. One of the biggest challenges I think we have in life is we spend so much money and time in our lives figuring out uh, how to dissect a frog or dissect a sentence or a calculus or something along that line. We spend all kinds of money and people have all kinds of debt trying to figure all that out, but we spend hardly any time trying to figure out how to, to build relationships. 
which we'll spend most of our life doing. And it's kind of crazy that we don't spend much time figuring that out. Everybody's just kind of on their own, right? <laughs> you just figure it out as you go. Maybe ask a few questions here and there, but just figure it out. If that's one of the most important things besides knowing Christ, don't you think we should try to get more information on that? So sweat, laugh, cry, dream, S-L-C-D, we'll call it here. Sweat, laugh, cry, dream. I'll come and break that down for you a little bit more is the way we're going to get there. It's something that we adopted and we've adapted, but we've adopted years ago in student ministry. Then I, that's how Jan and I raised our, our kids with sweat, laugh, crying, and dreaming together. And I will say this again, like I've said a hundred times probably uh, to people, Jan and I will probably never, ever teach a class or write a book on parenting. But we did figure out some things along the way that we feel like are helpful. We figured out some things along the way that probably weren't helpful, (laughs) that we might could help people more with than what we've learned that is helpful. But the thing that I believe that Jesus, as you look at his life, the one thing he understood, he called people to a person before he called them to a purpose. Let me say that again. That three and a half years wasn't as much about, even though he dropped hints that you are going to change the world, Some of you, most of you will die a martyr's death. It was calling them to him. And so if Jesus set that as the pace, I think it would be good for us to take note of that before sometimes even parenting. We want to tell our kids what to do. We want to tell them what they should do, but what they're doing is watching you. And also look at Jesus' life, and as you kind of stack it up, Jesus had different levels of relationships with people. He had the three, the 12, and the 70. This day and age, unfortunately, because of social media and a lot of other things that go along with that, and, and Facebook, everybody thinks they're kind of at the same level. And the reality is that's not really how that works. Jesus' example was not how that worked. He had the closest of the close, then he had the next level, then he had the next level. And that first level's pretty small. Philippians 1.9. I'm going to read 9 through 11. We're going to camp out on 1.9. But it's, let me give it a little back. The Apostle Paul is really, and I, and I use this often in weddings because I believe it's so easily adaptable. It's a passage of scripture that brother, I mean, brother Paul, that the apostle Paul is saying here, this is my prayer for you. So he's talking about your relationship with Christ. But I don't think it's a big stretch to take this prayer and move it into our practical relationships. So, so that's where I want you to make sure you, I want to make sure you didn't think I was trying to take it out of context here because I don't think it's, I don't think it's a big stretch at all. But he goes in, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, that is a, back to the, you don't have to put it up there, but that is back to the whole concept of Christ-likeness. That you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through, our, comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you want to give glory and praise to God? Be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So this just tags on to what I preached on last week. I hope you, it's a continuation of that. You can go back and listen to that if you didn't, hadn't had a chance to do that. But Philippians 1.9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound. 
I don't know what picture you get when you think of that, but it's just this unbelievable, almost explosion, I think, of this, this like a, uh, it, it's like, it, it, it's almost, you can't contain it. It abounds. The love you have abounds. How? For what? In knowledge and depth of insight. That your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. And the reason why I'm hammering that away, I'll explain it more in here in just a minute. Because Paul is describing here intimacy with Christ. If that's an explanation for intimacy with Christ, I believe it's the same explanation it would be for you with another. Let's see how we break that down. Our phrase that we use here a lot, and of course our vision statement is to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where they're engaged and influential. To raise up influencers. Now I'm convinced that influencers need to ensure that those closest to them really know to really know them and understand what the, who they are and what they hope to achieve in life. Let me explain that. If I was to send you on an assignment this week and you ask the people that you believe are closest to you to, in one sentence, and you ask this question and they answer in one sentence, what do you think I'm trying to achieve in life? What do you think they'd say? Because these people have watched you. They kind of know your calendar. They probably know your generosity. They know how you interact with people. What would they say? What would you want them to say? There will be a day for all of us, unless Jesus comes back before then, there will be a moment there will probably be an hour set aside for people to talk about what you were trying to achieve in life. You won't be there consciously. <laughs> you may be in a jar or in a box or may not even be in the room at all. Your kids will say something if you have kids. Your friends will say something if you have friends. Not sure. Your spouse will say something if they're there. What would they say you're trying to accomplish in life based on what they see and watch? Not what you say. Because again, we all, we all, most of us don't live out what we many times profess or we don't necessarily live out what we profess, but we will live out what we value. We will do that. Jesus says that. One of the sayings I have in my office that I repeat to myself because I think it's important because I have some say-so in it, some of the biggest decisions about your life will be made behind closed doors and you will not be in the room. Some of the biggest decisions about your life will be made behind closed doors and you will not be in the room. I want to be in the room the best I can. I want to have some say-so what people think about me. I don't mean manipulating it. I want them, whatever they're saying about me behind closed doors, and they are, they are, I know that. I've been a pastor too long. I know you are, some are, whoever is are. You can only control so much. People are still going to misunderstand. People are still going to have assumptions. People are still going to gossip and slander. I get that. But you have some say-so. Great influencers understand 
that they have a little bit of say-so of what somebody's going to say. Talking about legacy here, what somebody's going to say when they're saying the last words over you. You have some say-so in that. And I'm not going to try to tell you today that having these deep relationships and sweat, laugh, cry, dream and having intimacy and community is easy. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you that I think it may be one of the hardest things you ever try to do. And the reason I say that, not only our intimacy with God, but intimacy with each other, is that you've heard me say multiple times here, if sin, if sin had a job description, if it had a job, its job is separation. Sin, that's what sin's for. Sin is to separate you from God, separate you from others, and separate you from your divine purpose. Its job is separation. So if this is the most important thing, our relationship with God and our relationship with others, guess what's coming? The enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to separate. He's not saying, I don't, the enemy wouldn't say, I don't mind you have a good acquaintance and do all the little flowery stuff and, say, and stay small talk. That's wonderful. I don't have any problem with that. But to know each other with knowledge and depth of insight, yeah, I got to figure out a way to blow that up. What are some of the barriers? We don't have enough time. <laughs> but just, I'm going to run through these. They're not on the screen. So just if they hit you, I'm going to go through them quick. Our own personal struggles and insecurity are a huge struggle to close relationships. Our own personal struggles and insecurities. Another one. Believing others should be wired the way we're wired and motivated the same way. Let's say it again. We got that problem in our culture today. You should be motivated by the same things I'm motivated by, or something's wrong with you. But we're all wired different, and we all go about it different. I'm pretty high strung up here, as most of you know. Not everybody is. I can't help it. even like trying to hire somebody to, for a job to work for you people are motivated for different reasons not everybody's motivated for money you talking about a dysfunctional business where you in your mind if you own a business you think everybody who works for you is only motivated by money you're clueless time off time with their family who knows all that they're motivated by Part of the reason you don't know because you never ask. Because you believe everybody's motivated the same way you are. Some people are motivated by fear to run their business. I thought they were motivated by money. No, they're motivated by fear. That's why they work so many hours. Making an opinion or ideology equal with universal truth. We see it in our culture. Most topics in our culture are complex. They need to be, there needs to be a dialogue, there needs to be a discussion about it. But an ideology, if you're not careful, will take one side, black and white, and discard everybody else and every other opinion. And if you have a different opinion, guess what? There's something wrong with you. And you may even be evil. Because if I can crank up enough emotionalism, I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to shut you up. Whether I have the truth on my side or not, it's pointless. Not the point. But see how that affects a whole culture? Let's figure out how to separate. Instead of talk, let's figure out how to separate us. Another way in relationships is somebody is more of a monologue than a dialogue. Ever had any friends you're just afraid to call because you don't want to call them because as soon as you know you call them, they're going to monologue for 45 minutes. Anybody got anybody like, don't, 
No, maybe not. They're maybe sitting next to you. No, we're probably not sitting next to you. Have you ever got people go, hey, call me back? And you're going, oh, I, don't, I don't have an hour. <laughs> so I'm the only one who has that, right? He's going, I'm going to avoid that. Because you've, you, you cannot have a close relationship because you're going to monologue the whole thing out. Matter of fact, you're going to monologue it so much, you're never waiting You're never listening to me as I talk because you can't wait to jump back in with what you've already got in your head. You know I'm right. (laughs) Relationships where you take but rarely give. You're a withdrawer, not an investor or depositor. You want to really break relationships and be a barrier? Have an environment of distrust and motive. Your relationship with me, I don't trust your motive. I know you're with me. I know you've hung in there, but I'm not sure all the things are on the table. I think you may have a different motive. We see that in our culture, don't we? We see that in even in governments and different... I'm not, I want to trust on certain things, but now I'm not sure anymore. I used to, but now I'm not sure what the motive is. Anybody experienced that over the last two years and longer? I'm just not sure. I may not be right, but I'm just not sure. I'm, and the last one I would just say here, and I know we've got to get rolling. If you want to have a great barrier, it's just be inconsistent in who you just be inconsistent. Or some people are consistent. You're consistently inconsistent. I want to be the same person wherever I show up. There are a lot of roles I play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather, I'm a friend, I hope, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader. But in every one of those roles, just like being a dad, I'm a dad based on being a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just as a pastor. I hear that often. Well, you know, you're a pastor, you have, no, I don't have to live any higher. In some ways, other ways, yes, because I, there's, I see it in Scripture. There is a responsibility on me. But as far as this part's concerned, no way, baby. You're an employer who's based your life on following Jesus Christ. You ride bikes on the mountains based on you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You watch the Arkansas Razorbacks based on you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Fortunately, we've won two games. I don't know what I've done if I was Kentucky Wildcat, but that's beside the point. My point is this. Everything is based on the fact I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not conditional. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. Ask anybody close to me. But it does mean my intent is to be consistent And wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, whatever conversation I'm having, even I have to check myself driving my car home in the afternoons. I am a driver in my truck. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not just another driver who has a bigger car than that Prius, and I'm going to bully them because they're driving me crazy because it crosses my mind. A sermon heard is soon forgotten. But a sermon seen may never be forgotten. Well, questions in your home and your church, I think here's just some things, and these will be, will be up on the board if you do what you wish. 
One is this, are you all, are all of you convinced this is the best way to live? One of the things I think in a church or in a home, are we all convinced as husband and wife, are your kids, are we convinced this is the best way to live? Or is there still a debate about that? Significant, especially husband and wife who have children, mom and dad who have children. If you're still debating on this is the best way to live, there's, there's trouble coming. Or it's already there, whichever one. Is your home or your church a place where you're learning to live beyond yourself? Is a church a place or is a home a place where you're teaching yourself, teaching everybody there? Is it kind of the values of your home that we're going to learn how to live beyond ourselves here? You're going to learn to look at others. Back to a little bit of the consistency a while ago. Is there stability and security? Is there something, especially if you're you're raising kids, is there something they can count on? The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. I see all that, but I know mom and dad or mom or dad or whoever, they are consistent. I can count on that. Are there boundaries set and teaching happens? When that happened with those students in McAllen, Texas at that dormitory, it wasn't just me losing my stinking mind, which I did for a little bit. I sat down with those students, the football player and the point guard and all those, and said, you need to tell me why I got so fired up. Explain to me, what was the why behind my anger? Not only are the boundaries set, but why is that boundary now there? You know what? Those guys became the champion of the boundaries after that. And many of those young men, well, all those young men went on to lead, and they're still leading in the church. I mean, not as pastors, but as as business people, as doctors. But you didn't just set the boundary, you explained the boundary. So not just boundaries are set in your home, parents. Why is the boundary there? Doesn't mean they won't blow right past it. I'm not saying that. I can't guarantee you that. But they need to know the why. They need to know the why. Because if you can't explain the why, maybe the boundary doesn't need to be there. And you're freaking your kids out over nothing. (laughs) You know and are known and play a valuable role. I think I'm going back one. You know and are known and play a valuable role. Everybody in your home, I've told parents for years as as I was a student pastor, please do not remove chores from your children. I know children are going, please, Pastor Kurt, what is that all about? Because when there's chores, and I know it's an old, corny, old school term, But when they have a role in your home, they also have value in your home. They're not just consumers, they're depositors. But when you just look at your children as consumers, and it's easy this day and age because they can consume a lot. I don't mean that, it's just real. I mean, from phones to whatever else, there's somehow or another they got to know they're valuable. And one of the ways I'm done, getting, I just a lot of different ways, but one of them is they're participating in helping the family move forward on a regular basis. It's a place where you learn, which we've already said, and, and are allowed to take risk physically, emotionally. I talk about transparency here. We want to have, a, we want to be in a place like a church where we take risk. We're in a safe enough place where that's allowed to happen. Where we learn, we educate ourselves, we make good educated guests, but we take risk here. And the last one is, just real quick, memories and traditions are created and celebrated. Memories and traditions. People have asked me over the years, what do you think one of the biggest things you're going to regret at the end of time or end of your time? And a lot of people say, well, I didn't take enough risk, and that may still be true. But my biggest one, I think, is I didn't celebrate enough. 
I did not celebrate enough. Because my, my, my take is, you know, the way I'm wired, as soon as we get one thing done, let's go to the next one. And not taking that time to, whew, let's celebrate what just happened. Let's celebrate it. And in the middle of celebration, it brings value. And remembrance. Remember what we did? Remember how we celebrated So back to what the whole message, the the title of this sermon, this uh, week is, SLCD. I'm going to go through these quick because we talk about it in in the training of Uncommon, so I'm not going to get too bogged down here. But sweat, laugh, cry, dream. Sweat means accomplish something together. Consistently with my kids or whatever it was, and the students, we, we not not just mercy project where we'd go do work projects and we'd do those things. It might just be playing a game. It might be putting a puzzle together with my kids. It might be a, a plethora of things. But we accomplished something together: cleaning the house, doing the yard. But we sweat together, and sweat doesn't mean literal sweat necessarily. It could be a hike, which may be sweating, but it's accomplishing something together. The second one is laugh. Truly having fun together. I mean, it could be a movie you watch. It could be going to theme parks. It could just be sitting around and laughing at each other. Not practical jokes, but sitting around and laughing at each other. But being spontaneous. I know it's easier for some people to be spontaneous than others, but my kids know this. There were things, especially for my, for my four, uh, mine and Jan's four kids, and now for our grandkids, the one thing that we tried to make sure of was, was that there were things that we did with our own children we didn't do with the student group, that they were unique. They were in the three, if you will, if you're talking about Jesus three, the 12, the 70. They were in that small group. The way that I dance, which is pretty brutal, but my kids would see me do it. <laughs> I've done it at some weddings and, and, and still have not recovered from, but, but at my son's wedding and my daughter's wedding, so okay, that's when I did it. Let's cry together. You can't create this, but you can't run from it, but just be ready for it. How many times do we run from people going, oh, man, they're in trouble. I'm, I'm getting away from them. They're, they're grieving or they're this or that or they're, or, they're, or, 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 or if, if your child gets somebody, uh, some, if it's a daughter and a little boy breaks up with a 14 and, and she's crying and she feels like the whole world's ended, you don't go in and go, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Let me tell you what, the, <laughs> this is what life's really going to be like. You just sit down with them. And you listen, and you work through it. And you may not even say much of anything. You may or may not. And sometimes we talk way too much in those moments. Instead of just listening and just let it unfold. And the last one I'll just say here. What I'd say about crying, I want to make sure of this. I think this is really important. If you get an opportunity to cry, it doesn't mean literal tears. Never make it about you. How often does somebody else have an issue and we try to slide our story in? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop making it about you. Oh, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to. But stop making it about you. You're there for them in that moment. I know it's hard because you're all about you and you want to make it about you. Stop. And the last one is dream together. Let me ask you this question. Is one of the primary responsibilities of all close relationships to help each other fulfill our dreams? What if one of you realized one of your biggest uh, uh, responsibilities to your friends and your biggest responsibilities to if you have children or to your spouses to help them fulfill the dreams God has put within them? Wow. 
That would flip your world upside down. Not your dreams, but others' dreams. And by, you've heard our saying here, when you're good to others, you're always what? Best to yourself. But I love this statement, and I, I think we may have it up there, but statement from Matthew Kelly from the book, The Dream Manager. He says, you can ignore people's dreams, but will, it will be at your peril. You're free to ignore your children's dreams. You're free to ignore your spouse's dreams, your employees' dreams, your customers' dreams, your nation's dreams. But in each of these areas of your life, you will pay an enormous price if you do. One of the things we would do with our family, we sat around every, at the end of every vacation and we sat around on the balcony or wherever we are and we'd spend two or three, four hours, I don't know, sometimes four hours, I guarantee you. With, and Colton was pretty small, but we would still do it and we would dream not about what house we would own or about what car we would drive. We dreamed about how we could change the world. We'd sit around fire pits at a usury pass and dream about if we, could, if we could make our church exactly the way we could or start a church, what would it look like? Renovation is sitting around a fire pit. My kids, but also with other people, I wanted to be able to have conversation. I'm just so thankful I gave my life to the Lord. I didn't know what I was doing like I've told you before. And I said earlier, when I gave my life to the Lord, I was 26 years old, been a father for five months, had no clue what I was doing with any of it, marriage, fatherhood, uh, sure not spiritual leadership. But after that, I realized I want to be in these five areas with my kids and with people who I have a chance to influence, which was students, my spouse, was spiritual. I want to be able to have conversations around spiritual things. If you can't do that, it limits you. I want to be able to have conversation around physical things. Not only how to take care of yourself, those kind of things, but work ethic, recreation, those kind of I want to have conversation. I want to do a little study. I want to know it. I want to be active myself in those things. I know sometimes we're limited in that, but, but I want to be active there. The other one is the mind. I want to know. I want to teach my kids how to think a little bit. I want to teach my kids how to think across you know, when, when Jesus says to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he's talking about being able to take the mind and think on both sides. Don't you think it would be awesome if, if Washington, D.C. could think on both sides of one issue? To reach, it literally means to reach across the, uh, across the aisle is literally what Jesus is saying, to be able to take a, 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 a point or an opinion and begin to look at all sides of it. I want my kids to be able to have critical thinking, not just me thinking for them. It's the reason why we would set them down and go, why did you just get in trouble? Obviously, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, as we talked about last week, by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. I want them to be, I want to be able to have conversations in the social realm, not necessarily social media, just what's going on in the world and how you interact and how you have conversations, right? Even that includes political and different things. I want to be able to have that conversation about what's going on in the world today. And the last one is emotional. I want to be able to have those conversations back to sweat, laugh, cry, dream, and cry specifically, but all those. But emotion is laughing and being happy. Yeah, I worship emotionally, but not everybody does. I get that part. That's no problem. And it goes back to how I'm wired. I'm going to talk about that more next week in Cylinder. <laughs> but we are emotional beings. And if we don't know how to be transparent and vulnerable in that, we are limited on our relationships. If you want to have an intimate relationship, Philippians 1.9, to have knowledge and depth of insight... Intimacy, well, it begins with respect and trust that leads to vulnerability, that leads to intimacy. You will never be vulnerable unless you trust and respect the person in the group you're with. And you'll never be intimate 
Oh, you could be physically the way the world, but that, we know that's messed up. That's all self, self-absorbed. What we're talking about biblically How do I love Jan practically as my spouse and my, my oneness? Well, first, I need to know her in knowledge and depth of insight. I need to know her story. I need to know her victories and losses. I need to know her fears and her dreams. Because if I don't know that, I'll ne- we will never have. We'll have a good relationship. We'll be married probably until to, to one of us passes away or whatever. That, that's not what I'm saying. But that's not, what I, that, that's not all I want out of our relationship. I want it to be intimate like Paul's talking. That's what I want. And if I want to know more about Jan, I need to know what's on her heart. What matters to her? And then I need to see if I am capable of helping some of that play out. I won't be able to do all of it, but I might have part of it. So let's take that back to God. Wouldn't it be great to find out what's on God's heart? And we'll talk about it more next week in Cylinder. Because when we find out what's on God's heart, we look at our abilities and our capabilities and we begin to look at our opportunities to do what's on his heart. And here's what's so awesome about this. And it needs to be a reminder as it is with Jan, as it is with God. I don't seek those things because I'm concerned for her love for me. I seek to know because I am convinced of her love for me. Therefore, I am compelled. I don't seek to do these things for God so he will love me more. I do these, I seek these things because he loves me so much, therefore I am compelled. But here's a problem. You say, Kurt, I've lived all these years, decades, 60, 70 years old maybe. I ain't done any of this. I've messed this up so bad. I wish I could go back. Some of you are just starting. But I love Maria Robinson's quote that you've seen many times here. Nobody can go back and start a new beginning. But anyone can start today and make a new ending. As you can tell, this is something I'm very passionate about. I think it's the key to everything we do. It's to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbors ourselves. The problem for some of us is we don't love ourselves very much. That's the enemy. That came to steal, kill, and destroy and shame you. He loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. <laughs> We've all ended up here. And I don't stand here today and preach to you on a box. Sometimes I preach to you from a ladder. <laughs> but you know the reason I preach to you on that ladder is to illustrate the more we follow him and the more we're stretched, the more we change, the narrower it gets and the more focused we become and the more we want to please him. That's all we're trying to do. Not everybody wants that. I get it. But that's what we're trying to do. Won't you stand with me? I've gone way too long. Ball games have already started, I know. We love you. We're for you. We want to give you tools. And what we talked about today, for some may muddy the water more than help. I hope not. 
Because the, tra- and the, the training we do in the uncommon training, there's way more in depth and way more handles and way more things we do with this. But I hope there is maybe something today that will be helpful to you. And I hope to goodness it's not the enemy giving shame or condemnation. I hope it's to give you hope. Let's start today. Lord, we come before you today knowing that we, even walking in this room, some maybe for the first time, some, Lord, possibly were here last week, but they're different because life has happened in the last seven days. And Lord, I just pray that as you are stirring and awakening, that we don't suppress that and we don't push that down and we don't go, okay, I got to get away from that feeling or away from that sense or that, Lord, that we would just let it go and see where it goes. But Lord, I pray for individuals here, those who are single, those who, those who are younger and those who are in the middle and older, Lord, I pray that, that there's almost like a deep breath of going, okay, I get it. I'm starting to get it. I'm not sure what to do with it, but I'm starting to see there's, there's some hope, there's some light. And Lord, I just pray over them right now that you would continue to stir those flames and those coals maybe for some to become a flame. Lord, for marriages right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your healing would be upon them, your anointing would be upon them, Lord. You, you, you think so much of marriage, as we say often in weddings, that it is the, it, you, the example of marriage is how, Christ, how you love the church. That's how powerful that is. That you were willing to lay down your life for us. Lord, we today pray over marriages in this room and those who are listening online, wherever it is. And in our community. We pray for parents. We thank you for what we saw here earlier, Lord, and the commitment. And, the, and, and, and Lord, we just commend those parents who are saying, I'm going to try. And, Lord, for some, who knows? It may be generational change. I don't know. But, Lord, we just pray over that right now. But, Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be a place that when people do step on this campus or are a part of us, that they would sense that this is a place that they can take a deep breath and feel like security, stability, consistency, and Lord, a place they can be loved and helped to become everything you've called them to be. Lord, again, thank you for this time today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the call in our lives. And Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can go have an uncommon week in his name.